Welcome to a special episode of Contravariants, recorded live at Coco Hats Hamburg on January 9th, 2020. And welcome to season three of this podcast. In this episode, we're talking about hardware, Benedict's secret project, and what we're up to in 2020, where Bas still has no reason to buy new hardware, and Benedict learned more about Unicode than he ever wanted to. This is Contravariance, a podcast about Apple, Swift, and other programming topics. Good evening, Buzz. Good morning, Benedict. Oh, wait. Oh, you have the wrong watch. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, it's true. I have the wrong watch. I can set it to any time. <laughs> oh, I can set mine to any time, too, hmm. if I change my phone's time. Well, I mean, sure. But... That's not the point here, right? No, that's not the point. But it's evening. Yes, it's evening. It's not morning. Because it's not morning. We are doing a non-normal episode. A non-normal. It's not live, I've heard. No, not live at all. It is live, but it's not. It's always live. Yeah, so a lot of people were confused. They thought we would live stream the audio into the other, into the internet, like as if we were some Twitch players, which we, we aren't. We could do that if people pay for it. <laughs> Have you ever been on Twitch? Uh, I've watched Twitch, but I haven't done it myself. Okay. Okay, non Twitch. So what are we gonna what are, what are what are we gonna discuss today? Uh, we have a couple of topics, obviously around um, iOS and Mac and Apple and so on. Um, do we want to to start and dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so have you ordered your Mac Pro already, Bus? My Mac Pro. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's on its way. Um, it came with like a block of Parmesan. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. That you get that for free, the Parmesan, right? Uh, yeah, I, no, I think it was similar to the wheels. Like you had to pay a little extra. <laughs> the one thousand dollar Parmesan wheel. Exactly. Ah, you ordered the Parmesan I mean, wheels. The, ah, that makes sense. A Parmesan wheel would probably actually be a lot more costly than the wheels on the Mac Pro. Yeah, it could be. Maybe there's a Parmesan stand exactly. for, the, for the display. But no, no, no Mac Pro, no new display, no new no nothing, no, no nothing. new nothing. Yeah. Same here. I would love to order it if it had a different price point, um, which is kind of weird because I feel um, there's, and that was something that was discussed repeatedly, there's something missing in the, I mean, there's always something missing in Apple's hardware lineup, right? You are never happy. Uh, and in this case, it's something that, uh, that you can put on a desk, you can connect the display, you can put an external powerful graphics card inside, and then maybe a desktop class processor because the uh, Mac Mini has only a mobile processor and then compile in a reasonable manner. Like if you have a complex code base, you don't want it to compile in 10 minutes, you want to do it faster. And if you can put something on your desk, that would be great. And, and, and it's called Objective-C? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have 100, let's, 1 million lines of Objective-C, it also takes some time, right? Eh, huh. you get the point. Right, or maybe you are not an iOS developer. Maybe you do Scala. Have you ever tried to compile Scala? Uh, no. Good, good for you. <laughs> um, so there's, I feel, I mean, obviously there's something missing. And what, what I figured was, so we have an iPad mini, we have an iPad Pro, and we have an iPad. And then we have a iMac 21-inch, and then we have the iMac 27-inch, and we have an iMac Pro. And then we have a Mac mini, and we have a Mac Pro, but there's no Mac. Well, there never was the Mac that you can, that is the desktop computer that is normal, that doesn't cost as much as a used car or, or an actual new car or maybe a house. Um, or a watch. 
Yeah, right. Or a watch uh, that doesn't exist. And and I feel I, I still hope that something like that will come at some point. Um, because if you want to, um, if you want to do deep learning or three D rendering, or you have prosumer tasks, then you, I mean you can buy one of those laptops, but they may not be fa- they are kind of fast, but maybe not fast enough for what you want to do. And then you have very little options. And you can obviously buy a Hackintosh. So since this is a live episode, we can ask the audience: Does anybody here run a Hackintosh? One person. Do you did you run it or do you run it? I still run it. Does it run the latest operating system? Yes. Are you happy? Would, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Neither is any of us with the newest operating system. <laughs> Were you happy with the operating system before? Well, the latter times were okay. Yeah, no, but obviously I, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to run a Hackintosh. I want to, to own proper Apple hardware. I want to don't be afraid when an OS update happens that something doesn't work anymore, issues with the drivers. We um, all have that. <laughs> right, worse issues than you and your dog. <laughs> so Buzz has problems with his dog, the dog and Buzz. No, well, no. Well, you don't have the dog, but people have problems with their dogs. I mean, it's Catalina, so like everybody yeah. has problems. No, I don't. Okay. I just realized I only usually run three apps. It's Safari, Terminal, and Xcode. And apart from that, I don't run anything. And so the Xcode never works fine, right? So that's... <laughs> so I don't, I don't expect much, but the rest works fine. Fair point, fair point. Um, but yeah, so what about, you know, it's 2020. Um, what are we going to expect this year? And like, what are you looking forward to Apple releasing this year? Are so, you planning to buy anything? So hoping for yeah. So I, I have a Mac Mini that I bought last year, like last not two years ago, Christmas. So I've had it for a bit more than a year now. And I'm fairly happy um, with Catalina. It actually got better. A lot of things that I didn't like so much before, like the um, I had problems with uh, when I had a lot of windows open, everything would, would was very slow. So this um, has improved a lot with Catalina. Um, but I still, I would like to have better performance at a better graphics card, which it doesn't. So I would still hope for this mystic Mac that I was talking about that sits in the middle. Um, apart from that, we all know the beloved 12-inch MacBook was uh, canceled. Oh, no. Yes, and uh, we still have one at home that um, died. So it's just sitting on the desk and doing nothing. Um, it would be great. Like I, I'm hoping for the uh, for a ARM Mac- MacBook maybe that is like an introductory, introductory ARM MacBook 12-inch um, that, that goes into the space, and that would be great. But I if then it would probably be after dubbed up because obviously then we need to know that the the apps could be recompiled and so on because there's a new target and maybe it doesn't support everything because um, not not the full stack of what macOS can do. I don't know what how this would what this would look like, but um, this is something I would like to see. Right. What about you? I mean, before that, you actually have something coming up in 2020 that you don't have yet, right? Which is the 16 inch MacBook. Right. Yeah. So I I, I can order it. And I will probably order it because my Xing um, every three years you get new laptops, and so mine is old, more than three years old now. So at some point I can order it, but I didn't. Yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, I don't know. Like I've, I still have the iPhone 10, which sounds a bit pretentious, um, but like I don't feel like updating if it's not really necessary, right? Um, and the only reason that I feel would make me update at this point is that I'm running out of memory. Uh, so I basically like should have gone for the 256 gigabytes, but Apple is smart and well, I guess not smart because I still bought the 64 rather than the 256. Um, so maybe if, if there's a cool iPhone, I will consider that. Um, 
maybe a watch like i've been wanting to buy another apple watch for quite a while yeah yours still doesn't have a battery right mine doesn't have a battery but it does run out actually it even runs out like whatever i do i will have to wind it manually oh um but no I'm, i'm looking into an apple watch but i'm not really sure what i want because i would love to use it for exercise and i'm like well i could do with just an apple watch 2 for example um, but on the other hand, like it's also good to have the latest hardware. Um, but I've been putting it off pretty much because I would like to be able to use cellular in the Netherlands, uh, where they don't have any cellular models yet. So, But if you buy it, let's say, here, can't you use cellular in the Netherlands then? Um, yes, I would be able to, but I still have a Dutch um, provider. So I would have to get a contract here in Germany. Well, you can have multiple contracts, right? It's like credit cards. Yeah. Like, you know how Americans have like five of them and then or 10 or 50? I'm not an American, but <laughs> yeah. It's it's basically one of my reasons not to buy it. So okay. let's see if the, this year changes anything. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. There's also there are apparently new iPads coming that I was expecting end of last year. So they are apparently coming at some point early this year or mid this year. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I know. I don't know. The iPad is still weird for me where it's like I love the iPad. I just don't have a use for it. Mm. So it's like it ends up laying somewhere in my home and then like not being charged for like the last three months, which was the last three months. That being said, it's a nice segue because I recently, when I came back uh, earlier this week, I put it on the charger because I wanted to install an app. Yes, because, um, and that's also the reason why I'm, I'm looking forward to iPads, is I need, need them for testing, because I've been working on an iPad app for a long, long time now. On a very secretive yeah, iPad app. Yeah, very secretive, yeah. And I still want to talk about what it does, but I thought it would be interesting to talk about the tech stack, because um, I was a bit crazy, because I thought, after DubDub, why not try to build a project that uses all the new stuff that is there? And so I, I created a new app, and I've been I'm working on that for a long time now, and it uses the compositional layout, the diffable data sources with package managers, SwiftUI, Combine, Catalyst, and it also uses a little bit of Rust on the side. Now, this is not a new Apple technology, but I still needed it. Bear with me. And so it's all in there, and there was, there was a lot of terrible happening, um, but there was also a lot of good happening. So... <laughs> It so, was it was very fun working, and it's still very fun working on this app. So do we start with terrible, or do we start with good? <laughs> I don't know. After so many months of working on it, there's it's a mixture of feelings, you know? <laughs> like a good relationship. A good relationship shows everything. It's not just one thing. It's just it's a mix of good and bad, and you just go through it together. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned Rust. Yes. So shall we start with that? Yeah, we can start with that. Is it bad? Is it good? Mm-hmm. So the... As a language, I like it. I mean, I've talked about that before. And within this project... You, you even gave a talk at yes. like an Android conference in Japan? That was an, ex- that was an accident. I was... I don't want to go into details. <laughs> But at some point last year in January, I suddenly saw myself in Tokyo on a stage at an Android conference talking about Rust. Life goals. <laughs> Checkmark. And um, it was weird when I, when the other people approached me and they're like, yeah, what do you work on? I was like, yeah, I'm a Swift developer. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, it was fun. So let's start with that. Um, I, I needed it because the, the app, and I'm not going to talk about what the app does, but in, in this case, um, the app does a lot of string processing. And I needed for that a couple of libraries, and uh, that did it because a couple of these things I didn't want to write myself. Let's imagine it is syntax highlighting or something like that. And if you want to do that, you can obviously write it, but I didn't want to. And I wanted something that uh, is very well supported, and there is always something in C++ or C, 
Um, I could have used that. That would have been in some ways easier, but I needed additional logic. So I needed to, to use it in a way out of what the normal libraries provide. And so I needed something that I could actually modify and so and, and work with. And I, since I know Rust and since these libraries also existed for Rust, I decided, well, why not do it with Rust? So the development itself was fine. That was pretty easy. Um, the compile time is great. It's faster than the compile times for the Swift stuff. Um, as a I don't want to go into details, but I have around 22,000 lines of Swift, 3,000 lines of Objective-C. Of what? I will come to that. And 6,000 lines of Rust. And um, so it compiles pretty fast, like 10 seconds of the Rust stuff. Um, but the problem is that Swift, Objective-C, Rust, they all have kind of different string representations. So, and I talked about how I use it for string processing, right? So Objective-C's and a string uses UTF-16. Um, Swift uses UTF-8, Rust also uses UTF-8. With Swift-5, Rust and, and um, Swift use the same storage for their strings, which means I can basically just take the Swift string, give it to Rust, and tell Rust, imagine this is a Rust string, and it's fine. Um, the problem is that um, when you want to have um, ranges of these strings, let's say you have something where you say from index 5 to index 17, and you want to do something with that. So we have an index into the string. And now we defer. Rust uses the UTF-8 position. Swift uses graphemes. And um, Objective-C uses the UTF-16 positions. And I have a lot of these ranges. And uh, they, they are kind of fine until you have emojis. Everybody uses emojis. So this goes down, or Unicode in general. Uh, so once you go beyond ASCII, it's problematic. And I had a, this cost me a lot of uh, problems uh, to finally figure out a good solution that was performant to, to map these indexes into these three different um, representations. Um, and that also worked flawlessly with, with Outbox. That was difficult. So to sum it up, Objective-C is the problem. Sounds about right. <laughs> Always. Well, so, I mean, it would have been easier to do it completely in Swift, but these libraries didn't exist on the Swift side. And then I would still have had the problem uh, with Objective-C and Swift and the slight differences and mapping it in a, in a performant man manner. So that would also have been different. But in general, this was fun. So I learned more about Unicode than I wanted to, but it was still fun. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So 22,000 lines of Swift. Um, you were talking about, hey, it's a new project. I wanted to new use all the new libraries. So obviously you've used Swift UI. Um, of course. Tell, tell us about it. It was fun to build. Um, so the the um, read evaluation print loop where you basically type code and then you get the immediate feedback is great it, when it works. And it works best when you have as few dependencies in your frameworks as possible. Like if you split your, your project into many frameworks and you have very low code and so So I ran into issues where it didn't compile and you get the weird compiler issue. Um, and then just the canvas doesn't work. But if you um, if you split it up properly and you have a nice structuring, it works pretty well. The performance is really good. So I have uh, situations where I have a huge amount of SwiftUI code that is basically, and, and I can scroll very fast and I can do resizing and everything and it, it performs great. So SwiftUI in terms of performance is fantastic. Um, obviously there are compiler problems. At some point you just realize you see a compiler message, you ignore the message and you look at your code and try to figure out, okay, where am I doing something that looks wrong? You don't even look at the message anymore, which is bad because you would, you should not start to stop listening to the compiler messages, but they are wrong. And I actually today saw a tweet. Yeah, I saw um, it too. Right. So in, in Swift 5.2, there's a lot of improvements in, uh, the diagnostics. Um, and it seems like it has also improved how they treat, uh, object, uh, issues with SwiftUI, where they actually point out, hey, this is wrong, rather than your CG float should be an int. And it's like, no, it should not. 
Yeah, and I'm hoping for that. So this is one. This is definitely one of the problems because if you have, um, if you have more Swift UI, at some point you run into these issues, and then it's just a a, a hunting game where you look at your code and then you you break it down and you comment code out to figure out what is it that is wrong. That's currently not good, but so I hope that that's going to be better. However, this only happens and is really a problem when you have more complex Swift UI structs. Um, if you have very simple structs, it's kind of easy because the, if your struct is more, more than, not more than five lines, it's easy to figure out what's wrong. If you have 50 lines of code and it just says something here is wrong, it's, it's much more difficult. But that's up to you, right? Like mm -hmm. you can have as many uh, structs as, as, yeah. as you want. Yeah. And there, there's not really an overhead. So that is kind of fine. So in general, I'm very happy. There were situations where I ran beyond what SwiftUI offers and I, I ran into problems. But that was because I was trying very difficult things. I, I shared a tweet. Some people might have seen it, some of the listeners where um, I rebuilt a, um, a inspector-like UI where you can basically modify things and you get something like a navigation controller, but it's not using the navigation controller. It's all pure Swift UI. And there I ran into the issue that um, when one of these screens is pushed in, um, after that, the tabs are not registered anymore. So I'm, I'm, I'm moving a new screen in, and then I can tap as I want. Nothing is registered. Only when you, when you scroll at least one pixel, the tabs are registered again. No, I have a solution for that, and it's terrible. <laughs> is it is it Objective C? No, it's not Objective C. Oh. It is go down the view hierarchy. That is because it's using as it's building up a UI kit view hierarchy, right? Find the first scroll view, scroll it one pixel. <laughs> oh God! Right. So these these are things um, that I hope will be solved at some point. Um, but but I have very few of those. Like I have. I also calculated, I have 8,000 lines of SwiftUI code, and I have, let's say, two bigger problems where I had to do something that like this. Did you also count the amount of feedbacks that you filed? No, I didn't count that yet, and I have not everything is filed yet, because I, want to, um, I wanted to work up to a beta that, that, I, um, that I'm releasing, and after this, I, th I hope that um, I can do more feedbacks. But how many are we talking about? Like 5, 10, 20? <laughs> it will be at least 20. Wow. Yeah. Um, so one thing as well that you did is you've used Swift, you've used Objective-C, you've used Rust, and part of the reason that you're using all three of those is performance. Right. Uh, can you tell a bit more about that? So, I mean, the, the, the Rust part is less performance, so it is a very performant language, and I used it more because the, the libraries I needed weren't available except in C and C++, but they are just as, as, as performance. So I used that because I know the language and the libraries were available and they were not available for Swift. Um, and maybe if they were available for Swift, they would be as fast, but Objective-C is a different thing. I ran into an issue, so I'm using a UI text view, and when you subclass the NS text storage, um, which is basically, it's something like a attributed string. It's a class that basically hosts text and the attributes of this text. And the attributes are usually the font, like everybody who has used an attributed string knows what these are. You have the font and so on. And when you subclass that in Swift, what happens is um, there's a method that is called by the system um, for, for everything in the, the, um, in the text view, and that is asking, what are the attributes at this position? And when you sub, as soon as you subclass this into Swift, um, what happens is that um, the request comes from Objective-C as a NS dictionary. That is converted into a dictionary for Swift. So this is bridged. And then it runs into your Swift subclass for NS text storage. And then from there, it goes back to Objective-C. So it's bridged again from dictionary back to NS dictionary. And this is a huge performance cost. So there's a bug, SR6197, 
and um, on the Swift uh, for on the Swift bug reporter, and it's as of now unsolved, and it says calling NS text storage attributed index effective range is nearly three times as slow for text storage Swift subclass compared to NS text storage. And this is currently unsolved. So if you subclass NS text storage, you run into this problem, and it's much much saner to do it in uh, to it with Swift, uh, with Object C. Um, and there were a couple of other issues where I, I had the same problem, and where I it was easier to use Objective C, not because Objective C is faster, but because the whole UI kit thing is written in Objective C mostly, and then you don't have the bridging overhead. So that's what what was the main issue. So if all the Objective C UI kit and stuff were written in Swift, I wouldn't need to do this. But um, that was so you you save the bridging overhead, and that was a problem, and it took me some time to figure this out. That sounds like a super awesome project in the way that you're using all the new things, but also like it's as real. Like that, you will need to do all all the things that you didn't want to do, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are many things that I didn't look forward to, and I still had to do it. Um, what was also very fun was with package manager. So I decided I would only use packages that are like I have a couple of dependencies, and I'm only using dependencies that um, are available as with package manager. Otherwise not. So um, no CocoaPods, no anything else, because I wanted to try that. And also because it's also going to support Catalyst. And when I started, Catalyst was not available for any of the others. But Catalyst support worked for Swift Package Manager. Nice. Yeah. So it's going to be like everywhere. Uh, well, it's only on the on the iPad for now, right? Not on the on the phone. No, but I'm, I'm planning. Well, let's see how this goes, right? I'm not even sure if I'll ever release it. But um, <laughs> he will. <laughs> So I have a couple of alpha users, and so I'm getting feedback. Let's see. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's the current state of the project, and um, I'm, I'm fairly happy with what I've been so far. And I'm going to share more about this in the next com coming weeks with screenshots and, and so on. And on the podcast. And on the podcast, of course, where we probably talk about more of the crazy things, things I saw. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, talking about projects, you've also been very busy um, in the last couple of, couple of months. Last month? I don't know the time frame was a project. Um, so yeah, I was on holidays, um, but I've still been busy uh, because I've been working on a project that is super, super cool, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, and some of you that are listening might have heard of it, uh, especially by the time we release this, because uh, it's Swift for Good, which is a project uh, initiated by Paul Hudson, and it's a book, and it's a book by 20 authors, uh, all writing one chapter on a topic in Swift. Um, and all of the uh, revenue from that project will go to a good cause. That's really awesome. So I was lucky enough, actually, because I was talking to uh, Antoine van der Lee, who has also been on the podcast, uh, when I was at FrenchKit earlier uh, in, in the last year. And he was talking about it, and I was like, yeah, is Paul still looking for people? And I was like, yeah, we can ask. And I asked, and uh, I joined that, that project. Um, and I've written a, a chapter on accessibility, which for me was pretty much a no-brainer. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been hard because it's you know a very different project from building an app. Um, and even though I like writing, it's it's not that easy, uh, especially because I had trouble actually focusing and working on this at home. Uh, so in the end, I had to find uh, a nice cafe to sit in. Uh, and that worked worked really well. And it has 20 chapters by, by different authors, right? Exactly. So what, what are a couple of the other topics that are? Um, so there is a topic on testing. There is a topic on collections. Uh, there is a topic 
which is really dear to me as well on API design, uh, which is really cool. Uh, there is a topic on enums. There is, there's a lot. Did you already read all the other chapters? I've read a bunch. I've reviewed a bunch. Uh, I've not been able to read all of them yet. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm back to work. <laughs> um, but I'm really looking forward to, to reading the book once it's out uh, mm -hmm. and, and reading all about it. There's actually a 21st uh, author because there will be a special foreword by none other than Chris Latner. Oh, wow. So that is also That's pretty cool. cool. How did you go about uh, structuring your chapter when you when you initially planned it? Right. So when I heard about the project, um, you know, I first asked, like, hey, is this something that I can can help with? Uh, and when I was, you know, when I got the invitation to work on it, uh, I saw all the other authors. And one of the other authors were was Kaya Thomas. And I know that she likes accessibility um, and was like, I'm going to go first and pick accessibility as a topic. Um, <laughs> And it was funny because she then took testing as a topic, which would have been my second one. Um, but so I had the topic, I basically reserved the topic, right? Uh, and then I started thinking, okay, what do I want to write? Uh, how many, uh, how long will the chapter be? Uh, and I started with an, an, an outline of like, hey, this, these are the topics that I want to, uh, want to point at, want to discuss. And then I just started filling, uh, writing the introduction, writing the... Uh, the end, the conclusion, and then filling in uh, the rest. So, like, I discuss uh, things like the quote-unquote obvious things like voiceover and voice control, um, dynamic text, uh, but also the less less obvious things like haptics um, and things like that. So it's it's a super wide range of, of topics, um, and yeah, that's that's how I how I wrote it. And it took you all of December or. I mean, I, I didn't count the hours, mm. um, but it was mostly just figuring out, okay, I can't write this at home. It doesn't work. I will do it tonight. No, no, it doesn't work. And then because I, I wrote the introduction and conclusion first, I was like, you know, I have the outline for the rest and I'm going to write that. Um, it was hard though, because I was like, I'm going to write this. And then I sat down and was like, today I'm going to finish the chapter. Uh, you know, I've spoken to a few people writing books and it was like, how do you, how do you deal with this? Um, but then I had difficulty because I was like, I know what I wrote in the intro and I know what I wrote in the conclusion, but I need this to, you know, to connect and that like I had to reread the intro and yeah. Mm. So you, did you print it? Do you print it out in order to read in order? That's something I do usually I print and then I feel when I read it on paper, I can find bugs more easily. I don't know, like, like wrong words, not bugs, but. <laughs> well, I, I wrote a blog post on this topic. Well, not necessarily, but I mentioned this, that I love to do that, to review uh, text. Um, and I did the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like after I finished it, I printed it and did like a review pass. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's nice because you can write, you can do the two things that you want to do. Like in a code review, you want to figure out, okay, this is just wrong, right? Hey, I need to change this. Um, but you also want to ask a question about something or just leave a remark. So printing... And like going to like a physical different space, especially if it has sunlight, is is really nice. Mm. So yeah, I did that. Especially that's not is. that's not because I sit in a cave, in a cave or in a basement. It's just like you know in a in a room where you sit behind your computer, you won't have natural light, mm. or at least not as much. Yeah. So when does this book come out? 
So the book is scheduled to come out next Tuesday, which is the 14th of January. Is that correct? That's correct. 14th of January. And since everything goes to charity, it would be awesome if as many people as possible order this book. That's awesome. That would be great. So it's a it's a pay what you want, uh, starting oh. at starting at forty dollars, um, and all the proceeds go to Black Girls Code. Hmm. Um, you can pay as much as you want. You can buy as many as you want. It's it's really cool. It's I'm an, really excited. It's about an it. awesome project. I also I, I like the idea. It's fantastic, and I was so looking forward to ordering it and seeing what the different topics are and so on, and what the people wrote about it. It's it's really cool. So like if you you can go to the website swiftforgood.com. Uh, and it already has like all the authors and all the topics, so you can already take a look at that. Very nice. So it's twenty twenty bus. What else are you up to? Um, quite a bit actually. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be talking at a few conferences again. Uh, I don't know how many yet, but I have a few lined up already. Uh, and something else super exciting is that I'll be co-organizing Swift Avero this year. Oh, nice. So I was there last year, and I think it was my first conference that I attended, like not spoke at or gave a workshop at in like two years. Uh, and it was so much fun, and I had some great chats with the organizers. Um, and like one of my things on the bucket list is like, hey, I want to organize a conference at some point. And they had a bunch of great organizers, right? Like I talked to them. I was like, that's a great start, right? I don't have to do this on my own. So I asked them about it, and that's how I got there. That's really nice. And it was actually funny as well. It's it's a bit of a different thing. But Swift of Aero is one of the three uh, workshop conferences in, in Swiftland, uh, basically at the well, moment. Well, it's three and a half. Um, and Spain also has a workshop day. Well, I mean, there's many conferences with workshop days. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the, the fundamentally only workshop. These are yeah, only yeah, workshops. Small groups, you're right. right. So it started with the, the, the Swift Alps. Um, and then it, it went to, to Avero as well, and also to the Netherlands uh, with Swift Island. And I was at the, uh, the Swift Alps in November, and I realized I've been to all three in the same year. <laughs> so it started with Avero, and then we were both at Swift Island, and then I was in Switzerland as well. So this year you would organize all three? Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. But yeah, so, so doing that, um, and... There's a lot more upcoming, but what about you? I don't have much planned. I want to go to the TriSwift in Tokyo as an attendee this year. I'm so jealous. Well, I mean, I, so I, I bought the ticket. And I don't have anything else planned yet, um, but I have a ticket. So, and let's see what the rest is and still have to find flights and so on. Um, I enjoyed it last year, but last year I made the, 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 the stupid mistake of arriving shortly before the conference. Um, and I was very jet-lagged. So I enjoyed the conference. I had to give a talk, and that was nice. But since I had to give a talk, that makes, always makes me a bit nervous. And um, then I also was very jet-lagged. Um, I, I, it was sometimes I was just, you know, I was a zombie walking through the halls and trying to figure out what the coffee machine was. But didn't you practice, like, we, like you've been at this Android conference just before, right? <laughs> no, no. That was one month before, not just oh, before, not just you, before. You forgot about the jet-lag, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so that was the problem. Um, it was all, it was a accident happening in reverse. When the Android conference hit, basically the other one was already booked. It was all so, yeah. 
never mind. I don't want to go into the... It was very weird because I was three times in Japan with each time a month of difference. So I could have reorganized that. Nevertheless, this year I want to arrive a bit early so that I can get into the time zone and understand it and feel the flow of the Japanese time. They'll go to the conference and enjoy it even a bit more. Yeah, yeah I'm still so excited to join that at some point, but let's see. Yeah, And other than that, um, I, I, there are a couple of conferences I want to attend, but... I haven't really bought anything, thought about anything, just as the year progresses. You know, there's this nice Avero conference that you could buy a ticket for. Well, I was <laughs> I was there before. I enjoyed it a lot, and I've been thinking about it, but I don't know. It's also, there are a couple of personal um, vacations planned and so on, so it always has to map. Another thing happening very soon this year is uh, that you have the 150 Swift Weekly Brief, right? Well, it's already happened. Oh, it's already happened. See. So oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm also, uh, yeah, I'm curating the Swift Weekly Brief, which is a bi-weekly newsletter on Swift open source and all the other open source projects by Apple. Um, and it was the last issue of 2019 that oh. coincidentally was issue 150, oh. which also means I've been doing this for about two years now because we're doing it bi-weekly. Um, I took over from Jesse Squires in, I think, somewhere in January, like 2018 then, right? So it's been a great two years, um, and I'm super looking forward to to where that will go. And I've, I've had great help from from Kristaps, Kristaps Grimbergs, uh, which is also a funny story, uh, how that came to be. Uh, and he's going to be uh, helping even more this year. So mm-hmm. I'm also excited about that because it's, you know, at some point you You've done this a lot of times, and sometimes it's hard to to really, you know, be motivated and, and do this. You also have to to read up on everything that's happening in Swiftland every week, right? To to yeah, that's that's one of the difficult things. Like I've been away for for quite a while now, um, and like keeping up with whatever's happening is, is mm. difficult. And he's been a great help there. That's cool. Uh, and he's planning to to also write some issues, so I'm super excited about that. Mm. And it's still great to be able to write that newsletter and to be able to share that news with all the others because like you said it is hard to keep up with Uh, and a newsletter continues to be a great source for for people Um, and that's that's the best reason I I I have to do it so it's it's great yeah it's awesome work thanks for doing that Buzz and then uh, other than that like you will be working on your secret project of course Mm. and release it maybe I've said it now um We've also we also have a bunch of plans for the podcast, right? So, at the end of last year, uh, we had our second interview, I think, yeah, um, of of this podcast until now uh, with Donnie Walls, and we actually have the plan to do more interviews in this year. Oh, with the third one, actually, we also have Paul Hudson. Yeah, Paul Hudson was the first. Antoine, Antoine and Donnie. Antoine and Donnie, right? So three, uh, and it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, until like basically with the exception of Paul we've been recording no also with Paul we've been recording on site all in one Mm. room yeah Uh, and now we're starting to diversify that and and do it remotely do it with other people Um, and I'm really looking forward to like interviewing more people talking to people and I think we have a good list of people to, to talk to. Yeah, so we will change the format of Contravariance a bit, have more interviews with people from the community to ask them various questions to understand what they do, how they do it, and so on, and, and, and get more information from them than that's usually available. Yeah, that's a change. All right. <laughs>